All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We are live from the Return of the Ring in Loughborough, England. Uh, and I am joined here this evening by a distinguished panel of people. Uh, that is the Mythgard students and faculty who are uh, uh, here at the Return of the Ring with me. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us on uh, sort of typically short notice. Uh, so I appreciate you guys who have been able to join us. Um, so we're basically just, you know, uh, we'd like to just sort of talk about the stuff that we have seen and heard already. We're only, gosh, a little less than halfway through the conference yeah, already, yeah. actually. But uh, uh, but we've had a, we've had a pretty full day today, and most uh, most of, most everybody presented papers here this morning. We had uh, four presenters uh, present papers during the postgraduate symposium, which was a sort of a, a three-panel session of uh, uh, papers by uh, by graduate students. So. That was uh, that was pretty. I got to be a, a respondent on that one and uh, uh, and, and listen to many of them, um, though I was scheduled away from most of <laughs> you guys' papers. I can actually hear your papers. Yeah, but right. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, so for those of you who are with us live, what we were going to do is just sort of talk a little bit about the stuff we've been doing here uh, and the stuff that we've heard. We've had some some pretty cool events so far. Uh, talk about the stuff that we're looking forward to doing. And uh, and then we can, we can definitely have some sort of open Q&A and stuff, anything anybody wants to talk about, any questions um, that uh, you guys who have joined us here in the net would like to ask, we could uh, we can definitely do that too. So uh, so to start off, as I said, today we had the postgraduate symposium. I thought there yeah. were actually a lot of really good papers. Brilliant yeah. papers. Yeah. Excellent papers. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, one thing that we were talking about earlier was something that I was really was really impressed by, but you know, it's something that I've really seen before in Tolkien studies in general. Um, and one thing that I think is really, uh, is really encouraging for, you know, anyone else who's listening, who is thinking about getting into the world of, of Tolkien academia. It's such a supportive environment. Mm. I mean, yes. I really thought that was, that was remarkable, the paper sessions this morning. You know, you didn't get anybody, you know, sniping and, and, mm. uh, you know, trying to tear people down. That occasionally happens at scholarly conferences. You mm. get some people who are really competitive, some yeah. people who really like to listen to themselves talk. And, okay. what? At an academic yeah, conference? conference? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it was. Sharks out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was very supportive, very nurturing. And, and, and I was very, very impressed. And actually, I sat there and took out tons of notes from the other papers. There's some amazing research that was done yeah. Um, yeah. and very encouraging. And, and, and I think in today's world for the up-and-coming young talking ac academics, mm -hmm. that incredible supportiveness is so important and just makes you want to work even harder. I agree. More. I think one of the things that I really like is seeing the breadth of scholarship that's going on in Tolkien studies right now. And it, it's not just, oh, we're, we're looking down this path or we're only looking down this path. If you look at the range of papers that were on offer today, it was huge. And that's fantastic because that's what we want more of. We want that kind of breadth of scholarship. Um, and that's something to really look forward to, I think, in the next few years because, again, looking around today, there's a lot of young people. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I think it, just even the whole idea of having those panels, you know, having six panels of papers um, from, you know, people who are currently coming up doing graduate work, you know, basically the, the sort of, you know, the next generation of Tolkien scholars, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to see, you know, to see what's coming and to see, uh, to see you know, because often, you know, there has been um, a little bit of like the same familiar faces, you know, yes. you, go, you know, go to Kalamazoo and do Tolkien at Kalamazoo, mm -hmm. go to... Uh, you know, and I, not that I don't love seeing them, mm. uh, <laughs> but, but it is nice to see new people yeah. coming through because eventually um, that 
can we call them the old guard right. if you want to they're going to move on or off and Done. shuffle off that yeah. mortal <laughs> coil etc there needs to be people coming in behind them yeah. there needs to be and that's what's great about today is, is seeing that number of people who are prepared to you know, pick up that gauntlet if you like, and, and very international as well. Yeah, yes. I mean, a huge amount of it. There was Finnish, and there was um, Polish, and Polish. Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. all yeah. all over the place. All and the, the breath. I mean, there's a wonderful paper about the use of the you know the board of the Finnish tra- Finnish translations of the board of the rings. Yeah, I that mean, was, that was really cool. Looking, just at the, looking at the 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 translation of the Lord of the Rings into Finnish, and then the parody of the Lord of the Rings in Board of the Rings, and yeah. then the translation of the parody into Finnish, <laughs> yeah. and comparing those. Together, that was that was, that was yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even knowing nothing about Finnish, that was really yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, and it certainly was enough to convince me that the Finnish translation of Board of the Rings must be much funnier <laughs> than the English version because that wasn't funny at all. No, no. 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 <laughs> of course they are exactly. It's not really setting a high bar there, uh-huh. but uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we had was papers running from. Um, there was one person who I heard talking. He was doing a really close reading of the language of the Hobbit. Uh, looking at what that um, what that said about the dragon in particular, um, and the range of, went from that to talking about real person slash fan fiction. Mm. So, completely different papers all the way through, and that's good as well. I really like the fact that there's so many different things being studied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, let me interrupt the flow for a second because I've realised that with terrible remissness. I haven't introduced people. Oh. I should introduce you. Um, I, I, by the way, for those of you who are here live, I, I, I had suggested that we do a video feed too, but I was, I was, vi- I was voted down on that. <laughs> uh, uh, because some people here don't want their parents to know that they're drinking. So, <laughs> so, anyway, so let me introduce people. Uh, we, have, uh, we have Andy Higgins here and Sarah Brown and we have Lexi Height and Penny Holdaway and Sandra Hall and Isaac Juan Thomas, who have all uh, joined us. These are uh, all uh, people who have been taking uh, courses at Mythgard here together, and uh, and uh, Sarah has been one of our preceptors this past semester. Um, and uh, so we have we have that and our uh, our our uh, presence here at the conference in common. We've been enjoying. Uh, getting to actually meet each other. This is one of uh, one of a, a, a couple recent uh, Mythgard gatherings at scholarly conferences that have been going on. There was a, a, a largest one at, at uh, MythCon a couple weeks ago. That I think Penny, you're the only common denominator between. I am. You were both. I am. Yes, yes. 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 both. Yeah, Mythgard moot. Uh, can I say <laughs> how brilliant it is to actually see the Mythgard interface <laughs> <laughs> from this side of the table? Seeing the magic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. question yes. box is brilliant. As <laughs> <laughs> I've been carrying. <laughs> around uh, the Mythgard Institute all day and have finally uh, set it up here and <laughs> now we're yes we're, we're currently broadcasting it's not quite as exciting when we of course when we did our Mythcon broadcast last summer uh, we were in a bar <laughs> with uh, dance music going on we did manage to find a slightly quieter place that we're right next to the bar wait until the cave starts oh yes yeah, right, yeah, exactly. yeah. apparently there's a what, what? A hootenanny. A hootenanny, a hootenanny going hootenanny. on, yes. yes. That is, Sarah has translated Kaylee Jeez. for me because I had no idea what that was, and she told me it was a, a hootenanny, yeah. and so now I have no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly clear on what is going to transpire yes. now. And so. Professor Olsen is going to hoot his nanny any <laughs> <laughs> So no video feed, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, but, but of course now to, uh, to, uh, to make up for my... 
remissness I had to interrupt the flow of our conversation about the postgraduate symposium. So, um, but now there were uh, I, I was I was very impressed by the breadth, and as you said, the the the, the scope that I you know this this conference has been very remarkable mm-hmm. in general, of course, mm-hmm. for uh, the you know the number of people from from you know many different countries around the world. Um, that's been it's been really fun, really exciting to meet uh, to meet people. It's so you know it's it's really easy, you know, being in Britain and being in America to sort of you know think about you know Tolkien as a you know mm. a, t- our possession yeah exactly yes. yeah. Yeah. It's something that belongs to us um, of course less us than you really <laughs> well, honestly yes. belongs to me actually <laughs> right. it's, it's, you personally it's all mine but it's also <laughs> been brilliant <laughs> it's also been brilliant to mix that and also see people like Tom Shippey and Marilyn mm-hmm. Flieger, who both taught um, in Mythgard Institute classes as well. Yes. And we just heard a, an incredible talk by Tom Shippey on oh, leadership, yes. which yeah. was yeah. just, Excellent. you know, inspirational. Yes. Mm-hmm. And very, very funny. Yeah. And very, funny. very, very yes. funny. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, Tom is always so funny. And it's, yes, his, so his talk was on leadership, uh, leadership in the Lord of the Rings specifically, looking at uh, sort of, and this was, you know, he was explaining sort of inspired by two different things. Uh, one was this uh, doctoral dissertation that was written by a, uh, a Finnish yeah. business studies guy um, who was using Tolkien and, and, and writing on different sort of management uh, <laughs> the, 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 the great line of course that, that he was delivering from the synopsis of the dissertation uh, was that you know, there were, he had categorized the people into different styles of leadership uh, and then there were sort of two what, what, what are they called the people who specialized in project work which were Aragorn and Frodo but anyway so he had come across that which he had he said he, said he found kind of odd and had never really thought about it in that way before and then he sort of told the story about having to uh, getting sort of cornered into giving this talk on the military virtues to a, a group of, of, of U.S. Army uh, officers yeah, in St. Louis. <laughs> I, I, and uh, he didn't really explain exactly how that transpired, <laughs> but anyway, he, he was. Um, and so sort of thinking about military virtues in Tolkien and and leadership, he uh, he sort of that kind of led him to the things he was talking about today. It was really neat to hear him break down... Um, uh, you know some of the individual characters and the, sort of the, the different the different styles and sort of pluses and minuses that they have as leaders mm. specifically. There were a n- number of very interesting things there. One of the big picture things that I thought was really cool was how he was looking at what appears to be an evolution in Tolkien's thought over time about this. Looking at the mm-hmm. Hobbit and how there's 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 really an absence of strong leaders in the Hobbit. Um, you know, Bilbo's not really a leader, even though, you know, he's, he's sort of the, lead, the leader of their expedition, but he's not really leading. Mm-hmm. Um, Thorin is the leader, but he's a, a quite bad one on almost mm-hmm. all occasions. Um, and then you've got Gandalf, who appears to be the leader and then abandons them. So, um, you know, the Hobbit is, is ha, you know, has, has very few role models. Um, the Silmarillion, even, he was going through, you know, so at first, when he first said that, it's like, well, there's very little in the Silmarillion. My first knee-jerk reaction was, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, the more I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, there aren't that many re- for leadership. They're heroes. Yes. yes. Um, and that was, and of course, one of the good leaders. But, yeah. Very rarely good I was going to suggest two are, actually, but then I thought he's probably, because he does lead. Yes. Even though it's on the, you know, Olmo makes him. But right. he right. is more of a hero than a leader, in a way. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to look at Iluvatar, actually. 
Except he said that you have to have the leader being present, and I thought, right, ah, yeah. okay, once you get present, right. yeah. the score is yeah. low on that scale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it was just the interaction. You know, you could sort of like say that um, the interaction that he actually has with the uh, the Aino maybe. A yeah. version of leadership, which it is a version of mm-hmm. leadership, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You came up, sorry, you actually came up with a, a good suggestion that he hadn't come up with, and that was Halleth. Oh, yes, Halleth. Yeah. Halleth is yes, a good leader. That's a good one. Yeah. She's a good leader. Now, yeah, not necessarily always a wise leader. I mean, there's, the, you know, some of the things she does, at least, you know, her people dislike, but. But she is a strong leader. Mm. Yes, right? she gets. They people. follow her. Yeah, and they yeah. need to. Yeah, talk about someone who really has followers, and mm. that you know the uh, both the strength that she shows and her response mm-hmm. to Caranthir. Um, you know, I love that. It's one of my favorite lines from the Silmarillion. You know, Where are Haldir, my brother, and, and Haldad, my brother? You know, if you fear an alliance between Haleth and those who, who slaughtered her kin, then the ways of the Eldar are strange to men. Yes. You know, uh, and then she turns away from them and leads them across on the march. That was she. But you know, we don't. She doesn't get much screen time. You know, no. so <laughs> um, so we don't we don't see too much of her. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly um, lots of Lots of bad. There's certainly some bad leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, not only people like you know, uh, you know Turin, of course, which certainly follow I at your peril. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to follow uh, Turin, though. Almost everyone did. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. think of the number of people who uh, refused. You know, who were basically able to withstand Turin's mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah. I mean, Gwyndor. Yeah, he generated mm-hmm. a lot of loyalty, and that was another thing right. that uh, that Tom brought up yeah. was this maybe issue of loyalty. Charisma, do you think? I mean, maybe yeah. the, the he certainly the, did have. He it. must have had it because yeah. he did seem to, mm-hmm. despite his faults, yeah. yeah. people yeah. followed him. Well, and he's remember. I mean, you know, one of those one of those facts that I always find easy to forget about Turin that he does mention at one point that Turin is the the most devastatingly gorgeous. Yeah. Human man ever in mm-hmm. the history of Middle Earth, um, and and that you know that's not that it's only in a pretty face, but but clearly that seems to be part of that overall mm. picture of, of of his charisma. charisma that, you know, yeah. people did um, people did you know fall in various kinds of love with him mm-hmm. <laughs> wherever he went. Um, so he did inspire. And you think about his leadership among the outlaws. There are moments when you can see him sort of threatening to become a real leader, but then he always. You know, as in every other aspect of his career, is always then promptly shooting himself in the foot, and, mm. yeah. um, doing something disastrous. Another point Tom made about the visible leader was very interesting mm-hmm. too. The mm-hmm. fact that a leader has to be visible, mm-hmm. and that if you look at the difference between a, a Theoden and a Denethor, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a great example where Denethor, you know, locks himself up in a tower somewhere. And the whole thing goes to hell, and, and mm. Theoden, of course, is out there riding, and you know, is yeah, the self, even though self-sacrificial, self, yeah, and versus suicidal. That's Some right. generals yeah. have yeah. to die. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, uh, yes. But they're in isolation, aren't they? Well, so, uh, the sacrificial leader. Yes, yes. The sacrificial leader, leader is in isolation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which of course might be Sauron's working to keep. You know, he, he, that's what he does to Denethor anyway. Maybe he's right. keeping him in that tower. Right, and then of course you have even in the uh, in the scene where uh, with Pippin and Denethor, where you know Denethor emphasizes how Sauron leads from the back. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. you know that that he is himself not not re- not he's he is an overlord, but not a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, no, it was it was a, it was a, it was a very cool talk. But then anyway, so I was sort of talking originally about the the kind of chronology of it. So again, Hobbit, very few leaders, the Silmarillion. 
some, but 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 really not. Of course. Oh, also, my first. Thought, I'm going to digress again. In the Silmarillion, the the first thing that crossed my mind when he mm-hmm. said there were no strong leaders uh, in uh, in the Silmarillion, I immediately was like channeling Jordan Brown from the Silmarillion seminar, and I'm like, Fingolfin, Fingolfin, yeah. come on, Fingolfin was a good leader. But then, of course, he went on to di- to to dismantle that. You know that basically, really, the choice to go across the Hell Caraxa was. Stubborn to the point of stupidity. Like, yeah. turn around and go home. Just, just, mm-hmm. it's actually, that would have been the move right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> turn, turn around and go out back and ask for forgiveness. They gave it to Fenarfin, they'll probably give it to you. Uh, you know, um, and I agree. I mean, really, when you look at it, it's kind of a dubious choice mm-hmm. that Fingolfin makes. Um, and of course, the, the greatest act of Fingolfin um, is kind of in the suicidal camp of mm. course when he mm. goes and challenges Morgoth and that's certainly not a leadership thing mm. it's a it's a it's a you know a heroic act heroic yeah um, but um, but that's actually kind of a I think an interesting kind of contrast um, thinking about of course Denethor was his illustration of the of the suicidal you know, leader um, but you know Fingolfin does that I mean Fingolfin he he challenges Morgoth, but not really with any inten- belief he's gonna. He's not deluded into thinking no. he's gonna take him one on one. It's despair that leads him to to do what he does. Um, now his despair manifests itself in a very different way than Den- than Denethor's does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can see some real contrasts there. I wonder if that's an example of that heart should be harder. Battle of Malden type thing, mm-hmm. you know. The, he knows he's not going to conquer Morgoth, but mm. he goes up against him because you know. Yeah, and at least and doesn't, in, in that sense, there's something. Oh, it's like he's a cross between the self-sacrificial and the suicidal. Mm. Right? He's suicidal, but it's just him. He doesn't take his whole army <laughs> with him uh, to <laughs> to, to, uh, to to go into a despairing, uh, desperate, no hope battle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you think he becomes a kind of martyr because, and thus sort of encourages his troop? Because that was the big thing about the sacrificial leader compared to the suicidal leader. The sacrificial leader's death means something. Um, mm. It raises the morale of the troops, mm. even though the leader dies. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the suicidal guy, he doesn't. He just. Um, sort of stays behind the lines and kills himself in despair. But isn't Tolkien saying something about that? I mean, it's Gandalf who says it, isn't it? That despair is for those who see the end. Beyond all the Yeah, so I think, actually, that's right. Tolkien's mm. actually making that point, isn't he? That despair is not a good choice. No. Yeah. No. But I wouldn't have thought that Finn, Finn Golfin was a sacrificial one in the sense that Theoden went out to achieve an end that was greater. Whereas he, I thought Fingolfin was just purely emotion. It uh, seemed he was to be so chased off, I've got to go out there <laughs> and, and do something. And it was just emotion taking over. Whereas Theoden was a, a definite decision. I'm not going to survive this, but they need our help. Exactly. And we're going to provide that help. And mm-hmm. if we die in the attempt, so be it. But that's yeah. what we are doing. And I think it's a, slight, it's a different motivation and a different yeah, approach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in Theoden, certainly was, I mean, I think there's a big difference between, you know, riding out in defiance of death, knowing that you're quite likely to die, but going anyway, mm. and actually seeking death, which Fingolfin yeah. clearly was, yeah. seeking yeah. death. Um, I mean, I, I think that's kind of hard to argue mm. against, that he was 
that he knew full well he was he was going to die. But the idea of martyrdom is interesting, though, because it's I'm not sure. It's not obvious to me that Fingolfin is thinking that. I agree with Sandra that it seems to be a much more spontaneous um, and driven by emotion and driven by despair thing. But the effect of it, when the, 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 the effect of that story on others mm-hmm. does, in fact, seem to be um, uh, at least somewhat like the effect of that a martyr can have. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Morgoth is wounded. You know, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, Fingolfin was killed, but he, you know, it, it, Morgoth is limping now. Yeah. Yeah. He shows he's He's striking yeah. a blow for yeah. hope in a way. Yeah. He's saying, yeah. okay, I, so I'm not going to do it, but this shows you can do it, and the next yeah. guy who comes and might of course, have a shot. The next guy who comes is Luthien. Is Luthien. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was the next Sorry. But you think about it, the way in which, the way in which, Baron, the way in which Baron and Luthien's story is explicitly taken as a cause for hope um, amongst, you know, everybody else. You know, that's, of course, what leads, well, okay, leads Mytheros to propose the, what turns into the near Nith Arnoidiad, so maybe a bad example. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the point is it does encourage people. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think that you can see even even the attempt of Baron and Luthien is not 100% hopeless mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of Fingolfin's example. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, he is not invulnerable. Um it's not a hundred percent hopeless. It's only like ninety-eight percent hopeless. <laughs> yes, yeah. and th- but that's something. You know, mm-hmm. that's a that's a bit, that's a, that's a significant two percent. So I, I I do think, but I would almost put that into the category. Certainly, again, not not of a sort of an aspect of Fingolfin's leadership, but of uh, of a, another example in Tolkien where something which is bad has a good outcome you know mm-hmm. the, the, where 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 good comes of of even tragic things and even 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 you know really bad decisions um but uh anyway so yeah so then so so okay, uh, now I'll now go back to from, I'll now cease digressing a second time <laughs> uh no readers in the hobbit um very you know a few but you know relatively few examples of good leadership in the Silmarillion um and then in the Lord of the Rings you know Shippy is arguing that that you you see Tolkien begin to more consciously contemplate this um and in particular you know, the the sort of the kernel of his Lord of the Rings argument was what he argues and I think that is a, a, a fairly solid argument that Denethor and Theoden are really put forward as, you know, the two figures in this deliberate contrast with each other. Um, and one of the things which is so, co- especially with the way in which this, the self-sacrificial and the suicidal leader kind of reflect each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, really invites the, the, the comparison between the two of them. Um, what yeah, did he say about Faramir? He said Faramir was in... Was <laughs> well, he was... See, this was in a moment where he was also talking about the film Faramir, too. Mm, yes, that's right. Know, he kept bringing in the film. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Because uh, yeah, he, 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 he did discuss both separately, the film the film version and the... But, yeah, this is where he said with the, the film Faramir that, like, you know, you, you wouldn't put him in charge of a sandwich. Of a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah, so that was... Um, and, and clearly, yeah, in the... In the and, and, of course, the, the thing... And the, the one criticism that he did give, um, and this I thought was... Because Faramir, 
if there's anybody, anybody in the Lord of the Rings who screams leadership material, it's Faramir, even more than Aragorn, frankly. Mm. I mean, Faramir is the, is the, I mean, there's even that moment where, again, we see this kind of thing with Aragorn. You know, we see people, uh, you know, uh, the relationship that Frodo begins to develop with him even on the way to Bree, or to, 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 to Rivendell from Bree. But, you know, there's that moment when when Pippin sees Faramir riding in and understands, like, this is a man that that people would die for, and he mm-hmm. starts, like, gets swept up and starts crying out, Faramir, Faramir, I've never met you, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm already you a You look fanboy. like a leader. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, that's, um, you know, and, 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 and Baragon bolting off the... Off the, the uh, Baragon, you know, bolting off the wall to go running out. Uh, that's uh, that's that's definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, again, you know, his the, the 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 not just charisma, but the leadership of Faramir is mm. is so powerfully emphasized. But Tom shot that down in flames, didn't he? Cause he, he did. said that Faramir actually makes some leadership decisions that are poor decisions. It's out of loyalty and misplaced loyalty that sometimes a good leader needs to say no. Yeah. That mm. I'm not going to follow that order. That is a wrong order. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resign my commission. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's why he wouldn't accept Faramir as being a particularly good that leader. That he shouldn't have actually tried to keep Osculiath. That's so right. So because so that was a crazy yeah. order from yeah, exactly. a crazy guy, and exactly. he should have said, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yet he just says, right, okay, off I go. Yeah. The difference between physical courage and moral courage. Yeah. That's yes, what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The, the moral courage to stand up to your commander yeah. and say... You know, no, that is a that is a that is uh, a crazy order. Um, and but the thing also there, and this is where, you know, as much as I sympathize and as much as I I powerfully shared the outrage of so many Tolkien fans at the depiction of Faramir in the films, mm-hmm. um, and like the general wussification of Faramir <laughs> <laughs> in the Peter Jackson films, the one thing I will defend about it that they got right. The daddy issues yes. that yeah. they really brought mm-hmm. out. I thought yes. they did a great job mm-hmm. of bringing the the, the the Boromir issues, but which all comes back to the daddy issues. It's it's not even just blind loyalty to his military superior. It's the daddy thing. Yeah, yes. he's trying to show far, daddy. Faramir's, mm-hmm. you know, if I should return, father, think, think better of me. me. It's like that's what's at issue right there. He's going. He's obeying this crazy order uh, because. He, he wants daddy to love him. He he's wants trying daddy to show to daddy. Yeah, yeah. He's mm-hmm. trying, yeah it, exactly. It really is. It, it's it's a very childlike. That's that 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 is such a, t- a touchingly, uh, not just childlike, childish mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. by Faramir. Um, and I can see you know they 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 emphasized it so much more in the film. Then Tolkien is much more understated with that, but. They were dead right about mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's that was that's a big part of what's going on. With I was sort of, I've always thought it's interesting too that, you know, Tolkien gives Faramir the dream of the wave. Yes. So yes. I've yes. always thought isn't it interesting that Faramir has daddy issues? And of course, when we think of Tolkien, you know, his father died when he was very young, and there's some interesting things that you might do there with that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I agree. I agree. That's your next paper then, Andrew. There you go. That's my next. Okay. <laughs> 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 work on that tonight in the hotel room. Speaking of daddy issues, um, uh, uh, Vanneran says that Thingol is a good example of a bad leader who does not listen to his good advisor, uh, namely his wife, of yes. course. Yeah. Uh, and Theoden is an example of a good leader who listens to his bad advisor, uh, which is, you know, of course, he... he 
breaks out of that. Yeah. Um, Thingol, not so much. Um, well, Tom Shippey did mention Thingol as being a bad leader, didn't he? Yes. 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 yes, he was one of, his, one of his first examples. Yes. Of, uh, and Feanor, of course, who's oh, an extremely course, yes, effective yeah. leader, um, but disastrously so. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and well before his, well, after his mother died, but well before all of the problems in Valinor. Yes, um, yes. He was exhibiting all of that type of um, jealous leadership and and one of Tolkien's very later writings, essays, was the, see if I can say this right, Shibboleth of Fianor, which was this is how his mother spoke and therefore we're going to speak like this and anybody who doesn't speak like this is against us mm. and then you sort of like started getting the camps and that was well before Melkor had got involved. Right. So Fionor has obviously had leadership issues right from the very start, <laughs> really. Yes, and daddy issues there too. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, there is a paper in that. There yeah. we go, yeah. it's just building. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's very good. So that was that was the the uh, the the thing which has happened most recently. Um, well, other than dinner in the bar, that's the most recent thing that's happened. <laughs> dinner uh, is very good. <laughs> very good. I, I've, I've just got. To, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've got to mention the Oglock leadership theory, which Sansu also um, held dear to his heart. Which, if you don't do what I say, I remove the first two heads of the nearest soldiers. <laughs> Next. Yes. <laughs> yes. Shippy said he wanted a degree from the Ugluck School yeah, of Business yes. Management. Yeah. 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 That was the one he approved yeah. of. Yeah. 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 It works. Yeah. Yes. I used to call Shippy the Gandalf of Talking Studies. Now I'm going to call him the Ugluck of Talking <laughs> <laughs> Studies. I think he'd appreciate that more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I love how Shippy in the in the program for the Return of the Ring has uh, identified himself as a talking polemicist. That's his title that he's given himself. So. Um, yeah, very, I'm glad you remembered the Gluck thing. That was, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was right. It's the pinnacle of leadership. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, of course, one of the other uh, very exciting events from today was the one-man Lord oh. of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Which was fantastic. I don't know if, uh, if people listening have not gotten a chance to uh, to see this. If there's a pr- ever a performance anywhere near you, it is fantastic. Um, now, of course, the the performance is, uh, as you probably know, I mean, it's it's a performance of the of the films, not the book. Um, so basically, you know, what he does is a is a you know, an abbreviated performance of all three films, um, you know, from one end to the next. Um, he is so incredibly talented. Yes. I mean, I have I I can't remember hearing someone who does impressions and sounds better than he does. I mm. mean, the voices were perfect. They were yeah. so yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, You know, Ian McKellen, Elijah Wood, uh, you know, Sean Astin. Gollum. 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 Andy Serkis's Gollum. He nailed Andy yeah. Serkis's Gollum. And Arable. Christopher Lee. Christopher he did Christopher Lee. Yeah. 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 And, and Legolas's hair. Oh, the Legolas's hair was just fantastic. Yes, he has several running jokes which were very funny. The Legolas's hair one was, you know, he, the, the first time it comes up is in the Council of Elrond when yes. he does Aragorn saying, you have my sword, it's just, and my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Because I broke my stupid axe. (laughs) (laughs) 
Aragorn sounded a bit Tony Blair to me, though. That was my <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Which, again, leader, you know. Yeah, makes sense, something you know, in that, I'm sure. But at the same time as doing all these voices, he had all the music. Yes. Yeah, and the sound effects. voice. Yeah. yeah. And the sound effects. And that school wing was absolutely fantastic. And the marching army and the ants and everything. The way he did the the uruk High army marching up from the distance to Helm's Deep was incredible. It was it was it was it was amazing and and probably the single thing i was most impressed by was he got the horns exactly like you could tell the difference between the horns of the rohirrim and the horns of, of the orcs and the the the, the horns of, you know the, the horn at helm's deep in a boromir's horn they were perfect yes. it was exactly i was that i was i was astounded i was astounded at the quality of uh, of his sound effects mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a remarkable show but i think um some of the the funny stuff i mean a lot of it was very very funny but he also makes kind of intertextual references. Yes. Mm. So you, you have a moment where he is Elrond, and he becomes Elrond so perfectly, the eyebrows suddenly shape themselves <laughs> yes, exactly. into Elrond. And then he just looks at the audience and says, Mr. Anderson. That's it, the audience falls apart. Yeah. And I think my favourite line is when, uh, when he goes, you know, when he's talking about orcs being created, and he goes, how are the orcs created? And he goes, read the Silmarillion. Absolutely perfect. When did he reference Johnny Cash? Oh, Wheel of Fire. Yeah, Fire. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, I just can't imagine anybody going to see him, though, that's not seen the films. You'd struggle. You'd really struggle to actually understand the references. I mean... I think you well, would have to have seen the films. Yeah, of exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because as you said, he's doing the films, he's not doing the books. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean even to, I mean but it was it was, you know, so perfect even down to to the to the hand gestures and body posture yes. mm-hmm. uh, of the different characters, and mm-hmm. he would you know he would signal again signals which are so clear if you've yeah. seen the films, you know uh, the Ian McKellen Gandalf holding his staff gesture with the way that he does his arms, and um, the actually probably my favorite moment. I mean there are many points that were very funny mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed, but uh, the fact that um, when he, he did the you shall not pass speech. Mm. He did the whole you shall not pass speech. And I was like, okay, even in the context of a one-man show, which is largely a parody of the film version, that speech will still give me chills. (laughs) That was very good. And he said afterwards that he actually did it and Ian McKellen was in the audience one night and actually loved it and everything. And just imagine <laughs> yes. doing that in front of Ian McKellen must have been quite no pressure. No. No, pressure. no pressure. No pressure. No, no, no. And then he talked to him for an hour afterwards, didn't he? And he Ian McKellen revealed the secret of the Balrog, which yes. is quite interesting. Yeah. Yes. 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 secret. Yes. So the guy's name's Charlie Ross. Oh, thank you. Yes. So if you get to see him, he's really with it. Oh, definitely. He actually did the show here, and then he was flying right back up, back up to Edinburgh to do another show tonight. Mm-hmm. So. And he'd just flown in as and well. Flown, so yeah. it, was, <coughs> it was definitely a flying visit, that yeah. one, wasn't yeah. it? I think part of what astonished me was that he did all three films of The Lord of the Rings in a space that was about two foot by three foot. Yes. Yes. yes, it was yes. tiny. He was cramped into this tiny little carpeted space, and it, it was not even on a on a stage. He was no. he was at the bottom of a lecture hall, yes. basically mm-hmm. at the you know the small 
uh, a little section next to the desk. Yes. Uh, you know, between two cramped light stands. Um, and he just kept running around in little tight circles. They always said it was like a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> yeah, 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 into the wall. It was so funny. Yeah. There were moments where I was actually crying with laughter, yeah. and I was holding onto my stomach. It hurt so much. <laughs> It was so funny. And there was one bad moment where I'd just taken a drink out of my water bottle <laughs> and I actually did end up having water coming out of my you nose. <laughs> oh no. It's just awful. <laughs> 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 I just about managed not to spit over the person in front of me. But there were some really moving moments too. Yeah. You know, the death of Boromir, the way he did that was incredible. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 No, I was really impressed by that. I mean, I, you know, I was telling Sarah after the show, had I been writing something like that, um, I would have not been able to hold back. Like the 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 comparative rareness of the times that he made jokes. Like yes. most of it was done. It was intrinsically funny because of what he was doing, going back and forth from one character to the other. But he, you know, so many of the scenes, I kept expecting a joke because I, I I would have been tempted to put one in there, but he didn't, you know, and he, and he did it straight, and that was actually, I thought that was really, of course it made it made his jokes funnier when they happened, um, but, uh, but it also allowed for a really interesting mixture of genuine pathos mm-hmm. mixed in uh, with, uh, you know, what, what was a, you know, a genuinely funny show, but, mm-hmm. um, and really sensitive, I thought, about what aspects of the film's he chose to make fun of yes. or to have fun yes. with, perhaps mm-hmm. I should mm-hmm. say. Um, yes, because he wasn't mocking it. No, 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 no not no, at no. all. No, no he was having he fun with it. Yeah, yes. yeah. And he appreciated actually having us as an audience yes. who yes. actually knew what he was getting at and actually got his jokes. Oh, I think he really played to his audience today. Yes, especially that moment uh, when Elrond reveals that Arwen is tied to the fate of the ring. And yeah, he says, or when the elves turn up at Helm's Deep and we get another why moment contractual obligation (laughs) 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 and uh, there are little scenes of course that you really remember like Denethor and the cherry tomatoes (laughs) and that that became a bit of a running gag for a few minutes (laughs) all the way to the end as a burning Denethor is flying (laughs) off the end of the tower and the way he did the sort of the escalation of Denethor's eating scene yes. with, with like increasingly repulsed expression on Pippin's face as he's trying to sing his song. Uh, yeah. He also did some ad libbing, like when that person came in late, and he he completely played that up. Oh, yes, yes. Because he walked over in character and said, <laughs> "Are you running away like an elf?" Yes. Well, he thought they were elves, I thought, because they were in, they were in costume. One was in costume. Yeah, yeah. 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 just ran away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he stayed in character the whole time, which yeah, it didn't break anything. He was just and he kept going with it. It was just great. And then when he did a lot with our audience participation. When we reacted, he kind of played it up, which yes. made it even better. There were definitely moments where he was playing up to the audience. Oh, it just yeah. made it better. And he knew they were Dolgan scholars, so he was all about playing it up. Like oh, that. absolutely, yeah. 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 Like the crying Sam 
Yes. He, he does the eyes and then he did under the nose. Like <laughs> right. <running. laughs> and then, and then, and then Frodo that. with the wine, wine. And I loved at the end when he said, okay, this is the uh, so, uh, optional ending number two. <laughs> 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 Oh, he's an absolute star. I wonder if he'll yeah. do The Hobbit at some point. That would be good. He's going to have three best. films to play with, isn't yes, he? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Performance for Tomb of the Nazca. We'll see that. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm fixated. How is he going to do Radagast in the Bunny Sled? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> then again, how is Peter Jackson going to do Radagast in the Bunny Sled? Never mind. Let us leave the Bunny Sled to one side. Just for now. Just for now. Change the disc. Yes. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Change the DVD. Second movie. <laughs> I hope you're keeping up. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought the other really interesting um, seminar yesterday was the one on source criticism. Mm-hmm. That um, we had Virlin Flieger and and and, every, and it was a really interesting discussion about the idea of how one uses source criticism with Tolkien, um, and that idea of you know. The, the kind of the parlor game of trying to match the different sources or to kind of see what Tolkien did with the sources mm. I thought was fascinating and something of course that you Professor Olson have been teaching us all uh, well and that's you know one of the things that I thought was really one of my favorite uh, remarks that was made and I wish I could remember who made it but I don't um, was basically sort of thinking about source criticism that is finding the sources and analogs that seem to fit with the text and reading them and studying them, um, as a way of kind of crossing a cultural gap, yes. you know, that to sort of get closer to, not that it necessarily, you know, not that it's the secret key to reveal all meaning in Tolkien's works or something, um, or that you've like decoded it or or whatever, but just to say, because I mean, I, I this was to me the thing which was most rewarding about the Tolkien and the Epic class last year, just yes. reading the Kalevala and then reading the Children of Horan afterwards. You know, you don't even have to do a point-by-point comparison, to, but it just it helps so much. Um, everyone, I mean, just one example. Everyone always finds it so strange, um, especially when you're new to the Silmarillion, when Turin's sword talks back to him mm. at the end, like when all of a sudden the sword up and speaks, and it's such a jarring, strange moment for so many people. And I remember first reading that, and I was like, did I just read that right? <laughs> I'm going to go back. Yeah. No, no, the sword is talking. Sorry, sorry. Okay, all right. Not quite as bad as a talking purse? No, that no, was no. a little stranger, but mm. um, but at least it had a longer and less dramatic speech. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, but after reading the Kalevala, mm. and then you yeah. go back to it, it it, it mm. feels so different. Yeah. You know, and again, it's not that like, ah, now I understand it, now, you know, the Kalevala is the key to but but it's it helps you to, to begin to understand sort of some of the things that were kind of part of Tolkien's literary culture that helped to sort of inform inform that. It, it, it feels less less alien, less mm. foreign. It gives you a different yeah. perspective on it. Yeah. 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 You knew what you, you, you learn what he's writing out from uh, on what was around him as yeah. a child. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think as somebody who read Andrew Lang and, and read a lot of the stuff that he did as a, as a child, um, I didn't realise that aspect of it. To me, it doesn't seem so foreign because he isn't yeah. foreign to me. So mm-hmm. it's coming out of my culture. Um, and 
I thought that was a very telling comment that there is this cultural gap mm. um, and I, I mean nothing that was said in, in that particular seminar but I did remember um, somebody not understanding at that time at the Buckland when the ponies are stabled at the other side of the field mm. at Crick Hollow and they go out and they get the ponies and they're going off towards the old forest and somebody that lived in the Midwest uh, in the America was saying why would they walk such a distance? And they had no conception of the the smaller the fields. Size of and, and, yeah. and so pictures were sent to sort of like say this is this is what the the English countryside looks like. Yeah, really. But until that comment was made, I, I was thinking, well, why are they finding that difficult? It's just the other side of a field. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I and I think that's across a lot of things, isn't it? That um, something that seems maybe natural because you read the same books. If you've not read those, you're wondering where Tolkien's coming from. Yeah. Even um, the word field conveys something very different. Mm. Oh, right, if okay. you're yeah. from, say, Texas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it does, oh, yeah. uh, you know, if you're from the East Midlands. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. one of the important questions that came out of that particular talk was the question of why do we bother with source criticism? What is the purpose of source criticism? Um, why do we even worry about it? Um, and I think it comes back to the point you were making a moment ago that it's, it's about gaining a new perspective. It's, it's getting that slightly different flavour from the text that just understanding a little bit about where Tolkien himself came from gives you just a new way of seeing his text. Mm. You don't have to, but it just does something else for you. It does something else for the reading, doesn't it? And then you can build upon that by seeing what Tolkien did. Yeah. And the, and the real art of what he did in terms of did he fill in the gaps? Did he try to clean this up? Did he, you know that that's the real fun stuff too. Mm -hmm. Once you've got the, once you've got the sources down and everything. Yeah, it's it's not about finding a book and saying, oh look, this is where Tolkien's stuff on this comes from. Here it is. It's right here. That's not what it was about, was it? Yeah, no. I mean, it was interesting talking about the shadow that Tolkien cast moving forward and this idea of, you know. The, the, the fact that when you read something after Tolkien, you know, immediately you think, well, this is Tolkien, you know, and just that what writers have to go through now, as Tom Shippey said sometimes, to write themselves out of Tolkien. Mm, yes. And I remember reading some ways, some, I can't remember what author said, they said, when you're writing fantasy, usually your first book or your second book is very Tolkienian, mm -hmm. and then you start to move away from that, basically, and everything. So he does cast a very long shadow mm. yeah. and even <coughs> even indirectly you know, even you know you think of the way in which Tolkien not even just people writers who love Tolkien and who are writing who end up writing derivative Tolkien fantasy but even so many of the basic assumptions that are inextricably tied to I mean one thing for instance that that I would say I would, and this seems like a radical thing, but I would suspect if it were not for Tolkien, the concepts of swords and sorcery would not be inextricably tied together. Mm. Why is fantasy medieval? Mm. Why, mm. when you're writing fantasy, do you have people using swords? Yeah, why don't they have Gatling guns? Right, mm. and, 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 and magic. You know, so mm. in some way, we have either technology or magic. 
And magic is almost always, I mean, like, it's, that's it's such a, I mean, it's not that nobody deviates from that, of mm. course, but that is such a bedrock assumption that naturally when you're telling a fantasy story, it has to be in, an, in a medieval or quasi-medieval setting. Mm. Well, that's Tolkien. Mm. Yes. I mean, that's, mm. it's, uh, that's totally, uh, you know, if, had Tolkien not written, would that be true? To, I think that fantasy would still be happening. Mm. It would look very different, of mm-hmm. course, and it might not be, I, I doubt it would have made the mainstream in the way that it has, but it would be being written, but I, you know, I suspect that that even that basic a thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the way that it that and that's you know a larger thing, but even sort of smaller things. I mean, you know, like the the, the hobbits and the things that are told about hobbits, even um, uh, even the 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 you know fr- from everything like uh, you know all of the films and gaming systems you know from Dungeons and Dragons on forwards and everything like all of the basic assumptions about what a fantasy world looks like yeah. h- how sort of the natures mm. uh, and characteristics of these different races even if you're not writing a derivative Tolkien plot your dwarves are almost guaranteed to yeah. look like Tolkien's dwarves. And elves. Your elves. Yeah. elves. Yeah. Yeah. elves. I mean, when you think that Tolkien rescued the elves from the sort of like Victorian flower fairies. Fairies, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's the one that's done it. And you look at any of the, the elves now in yes. the role-playing games or anything like that, yeah. Yeah. they're nothing they're Tolkien's like. elves. Well, I mean, yes, they're Banff. Yeah. Right. Mm. I, mean, it's, the, 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 I mean, the first edition, Dungeons & Dragons, yeah. so explicitly derivative oh, yes. of oh, Tolkien. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's even down to like the race attributes and things. Yes. I mean, I was reminded of this. I was reminded of my distant high school Dungeons & Dragons playing <laughs> days when I was reading uh, in Unfinished Tales and the description of Turin um, in the in the version of the Narn that's in Unfinished Tales, mm. um, and how how it says he was a, he was as agile as any elf, but stronger as men are, and I was immediately thinking. Right. If you like roll, a if you roll an elf, you get a plus one dexterity. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're a human, you have a bonus to strength. Straight there out of Tolkien, yeah, yeah, yeah. quantified, slapped down on the page. There it is. Yeah. Um, you know that's uh, forty sided dice or whatever it was, <laughs> right? Uh, not forty. God, you're no, taking no, no, me no. back now. Oh yeah. yeah. Long me. weekends in the basement. Nostalgia, nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but again, even and, and the way that those things kind of have you know percolated out, um, you know, again through through gaming and through film and everything. It's just you know, it's for anybody for a fantasy writer to do something genuinely. Um, genuinely different. Again, even if they if they don't have the plot, that's the same. Is 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 very rare, and not that that's itself like an intrinsic fabulous virtue. Um, that's a sort of another thing. The only thing that annoys me more than totally derivative Tolkien fantasies is like deliberately, deliberately anti-Tolkien. Like mm. what I'm writing has zero percent in common with Tolkien. See, mm. uh, and it's like. But notice it's actually not very good either. So anyway, th- th- there are some there are some that work really well, but there are there are very few. I mean, this is one of the things, as I said in class this past summer and uh, the modern fantasy class, that I really admire about Le Guin. Mm. Is you know, the Earthsea was like a legitimately non-Tolkien yep. derivative, was, yep. but very imaginative, high quality well work of yeah. fantasy. But it's a short list, mm. you know, of really excellent top-notch fantasy constructions, which are, which are as as free from, you know, Tolkienian influence as Le Guin was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that everyone is shooting for that. You know, many of the other authors that we read this past semester, you know, have no. I mean, like Jim Butcher, for instance, with yes. his multiple Tolkien references, you know, sort mm-hmm. of explicitly um, doing that. Um, 
you know, or Terry the, Pratchett or someone yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, th- there's no reason that that must be a goal for for all modern fantasy writers, but um, but anyway, yeah, that's that is certainly something that. Um, so yeah, seeing Tolkien as a source uh, for 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 uh, modern writers was 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 definitely another interesting aspect of that discussion. Mm-hmm. And also for um, modern media as well. When you think of the number of films or television series which are definitely based on Tolkien, I mean the Star Wars films. Uh, are very much Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and Babylon Five had Casadum as one of the places in it. I mean, you know, so mm-hmm. obviously uh, Stravinsky had uh, yeah. read um, Lord of the Rings as well. So I think it's had a huge influence on, on sort of modern media, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we're all here, isn't it? Mm. Because it, Tolkien has had such a massive influence on our lives. Mm. That's why I'm here. Reading the Lord of the Rings for the first time when I was seven, six, seven, I think. I grabbed it off my dad's shelf. And I have just continually read that text ever since. Hmm. It changed my life. There's no other reason why I would be here. And, Hmm. you know, that's the influence that Tolkien has had. You're talking about on mass media, definitely Hmm. on people who are writing their own literature, definitely. But just on ordinary Joannas like me, Hmm. you know. Well, and the other panel on higher education, too, is very interesting because the other thing that was discussed is mm. that idea of, you know, Tolkien classes and how popular they are and how students want more of that and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some um, even lecturers are being reluctantly uh, led in that direction because, yeah. unfortunately, economic reality is, is they actually have to provide classes teach what people want they teach what people want yeah yes yeah well there was a teacher from south africa who started an elective on tolkien and he said that literally people started lining up before six o'clock in the morning to sign up for that because it was limited numbers and first come first serve first come first serve you know and you know and now he's got people doing their master's dissertations based on tolkien from that elective class you Mm -hmm. know so that was a very interesting panel i mean somebody from South Africa and Japan, Japan yeah. and uh, Wales, 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 England, and then me from America. America yeah. 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 Who was it? Who was put next to the um, admissions office? That was me. Oh, that was you. Yeah, that's My fairy and fantasy class was taught next to the admissions office. Yes. That's right. In yeah. fact, the, the, it was uh, it, it was this big central room, and um, the admissions office was left on the third floor, but they have windows looking down into my classroom. Um, so that was. So you got people wandering by, you know. This <laughs> 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 next to the waiting room, yeah. where oh. people would come in to wait for their tours and stuff. Oh, how yeah, but I, you know, it, it, of course, one reason was simply just because it was a big class, yes, yes. of course. So that was, you know, but not too big. It wasn't so big that people would come in and be like, "Oh, look at the huge classes." But mm. it was a, clearly a large and engaged class. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's it is it is a reality, you know. And although many, uh, you know, many academics, many faculty are still highly resistant to it, um, certainly the people who are thinking more and more. Uh, and with uh, more and more urgency of late about mm. the bottom line, uh, mm. are more and more in favor <laughs> of talking courses and of giving students what they want. Yes, yes. it was also interesting. Um, it's been medievalists that have brought it into academia, and, and as you have done, mm-hmm. Professor Olson. But then uh, the fact that it's 
it's now moving away and it's actually broadening out and it's uh, different faculty members who are delivering courses on it and not just medievalists. And did you notice today in the postgraduate yeah. symposium, mm. how many medievalists were there? Very few. Very few. Mm. Were there any? I'm not trying to think of any of the students who gave papers no. who were they didn't actual identify medievalists. I didn't, no. I mean, I, that was, that was the thing that, yeah. I, that was, was really striking to me. But that's... Um, that's the most pronounced example I've seen. Of that. I've seen that trend, you know, yeah. more and more people. And this is this is this has been visible at Kalamazoo, um, visible because they stand out. Because you'll have like the few 20th century Brit people <laughs> sort of walking around with guarded <laughs> expressions amongst all the medievalists uh, at Kalamazoo because they're there to deliver Tolkien papers. And um, that's uh, and there, there have definitely been more of those of late. But that was that was you know, unanimous or close to unanimous anyway um, today. And that was, that was really fascinating. So, I mean, and I think that's, I think that's, that's, you know, I think it's a really good thing. I mean, obviously I have nothing against medievalists doing Tolkien, but I I think that it's, um, it's definitely a, you know, if we, if we would like to see Tolkien studies sort of take the next step, uh, you know, into uh, sort of more general acceptance as an academic field, it needs to go there mm-hmm. because we, I mean, even people like, um, even people like Tom and Michael Drought and people like that always, I mean, again, even Tom would have a, a little asterisk next to his name among other 20th century Brit specialists. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's this Anglo-Saxonist. Mm. What the heck is he talking about? Right? Who is who? Who is this Anglo-Saxon guy? This 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 Anglo-Saxon philologist to tell me who is the author of the 20th century? Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, th- there still that has always such, been that element of it. That was such a deliberate thumbing of his nose. Though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but so again, I think it's I think it's cool that um, <laughs> that we can see. Sorry, it's probably Dave. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so uh, yeah, it's it's again. I think for as far as like the the more sort of widespread um, acceptance of the of the field, it, it needs to gain more traction in twentieth century Brit studies, and mm-hmm. so I think that's. Um, but even wider than that, wasn't it? Um, Professor Martin Baker at the end was saying that it should move out towards studying the readership. Um, now, what was the name of the of the discipline he was talking about? Well, he was, was talking about the films and fandom and, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cultural sociology. Reader, reader Cultural response. sociology, reader response, reader things response, like yeah. that. Yeah. So it was actually moving away from literature mm-hmm. studies into mm-hmm. a much wider remit, and he was saying that that's where we should be moving towards with the studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the impact that fandom has had on... You know the the life of Tolkien exactly. in terms of fandom and movies and and all Indeed. that. And, mm-hmm. and why does it affect that reader and not that reader? Or you know, so so I know it was very very interesting and uh, a very very international uh, panel of, of of students giving papers really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was, which was very very good. Yeah, I found it interesting the women from Japan talking about how the first translator of Lord of the Rings into Japanese was a, someone who wrote haiku poetry. Yes. yes. And then they redid the translation and the second person was different and people were up in arms because the first translation was much 
more poetic and everything and stuff like that. You just want to read, you know, read it in Japanese now and see the difference <laughs> yeah. in your spare time. In your exactly. spare time. Yeah, <laughs> surely, surely, uh, Andrew, you have time to pick up Japanese. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, sometime tonight around three. <laughs> 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 after you brush the paper on. After I've written the paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I read the five <laughs> books in my bag and worked on my PhD. Only and five. then I'll do that. Yeah. Only five only books. Five. Yeah, only five. <laughs> only day two. <laughs> <laughs> you were the only one that put your hand up when when you were asked if anybody knew any finish. Any finish. And yeah. you you would put your hand up. At, <laughs> and then I said plotting, like yeah. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one of the um, important things that came out of that end session yeah. today was the agreement that we need to stop being apologetic yeah. about studying Tolkien. We've gone way past that now. Uh, and the more apologetic we are, the more we remind people that there's something to be apologetic about. So we need to stop that. And I think now we have got into uh, that phase of Tolkien studies now where people are just no longer saying, yes, yes, I'm, I'm really, really sorry, but actually this is about Tolkien, but, you know, forgive me for that. We don't do that anymore, and that is really good. I think I described it as third-wave Tolkien studies. Mm, right. um, but I think that's the marvellous thing that I've seen, and I've seen that even myself over the last what, 10 years maybe is we've got to that stage now where it's yeah actually sod you we're doing Tolkien studies deal with it yeah you don't it doesn't need a defense I mean it's, yeah. it's you know of course and it's not to say that there aren't still the people out there oh there's still attack. a lot of I mean, resistance yeah we're just ignoring them better now <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yeah exactly be bold absolutely carpe diem <laughs> fish of the day but I'm so what are some things uh, that uh, to talk about some of the things that we are uh, looking forward to in the oh next few gosh. days stuff uh, that's coming up mm-hmm. yes uh, I know uh, Roland Flieger <laughs> is uh, doing her uh, her keynote talk tomorrow mm-hmm. yes. uh, on connections between Tolkien and the Arthurian tradition yes. so that's uh, yes. straight from Arthurian literature yes. 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 excellent capstone to her yes. Arthurian lit class at yeah, Midgard I'll be there I shall be there that's and I'm really looking tomorrow I morning wish. Peter Gulliver who wrote Ring of Words Oh yeah, he's yes. doing a talk on Tolkien in the Oxford English Dictionary, and specifically, he has some really informa- interesting information about the Ainu Lindale, apparently. Oh, so yeah, that's okay. at nine a.m. tomorrow morning. Okay, okay. that's like room like one. I think I've got that that's one. Right. Right. Yep, yes. room one. Yeah, room yeah. one. Yeah, and then we have um, John Garth is doing. Uh, he's he's um, bringing letters with him from one of the TCBS, Robert Quilt. Carrie Gilson, yeah. and he's yeah. reading some of those letters, which are very, very poignant. Is that and the one that we that uh, he's done at the festival? I think part of it. I mean, yes. it was a fantastic. He will have expanded yeah. on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, but it was fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I missed that one. I was hanging out with his with his wife and toddler daughter oh, right. uh, in the back room when that was going on. No, no, recall. it was friendly yeah, tissues. Good. And all he did was what? read these letters. And they were just bringing yeah, tissues. Bring tears. Yeah, yeah. Was, really, yeah. Just, yeah. All he does is he just reads these letters, puts them into context, and you just bore you yeah. just really do bore your And then we out. get Michael Tolkien, don't we, tomorrow? We do. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. right. Yes. Yes. Tomorrow afternoon, yeah. is it? Yes. Uh, uh, time, yeah. Yeah. And there's a talk on the notion could play papers as well and on Monday I think Dr. Dimitra Femi is doing her paper on goblins mm-hmm. and she's focusing on uh, a story by Dickens actually which is oh, quite right. interesting mm-hmm. 
Yes, yeah. And then you're on the panel, aren't you, doing something about on online? Monday? Yes, I'm chairing the panel on Monday about uh, 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 continuing education in Tolkien uh, live and online. Um, there are a number of people who have been doing some various different things, so. and uh, so yeah, I, Nithgard will come up. I suspect. I suspect. Uh, oh yeah. During, yeah. During, during that. Um, there's a panel on Tolkien research, which I think is going yeah. to be good. Yeah. That one. I no, that one's going to be that lousy. That's only because it's opposite yours. Yeah. It is. Oh, is it? only because I'm resentful that I can't go, so yeah. I'm convincing is myself that that's... Is that opposite yours, Richard? It is. With, yeah. with, uh, with Ted Naismith, yeah. Ted Naismith. Of course. I need a time turner. I know. There's just so many interesting tracks. And there is my paper as well. On yes, Monday. on Monday. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think Sandra saw it. Uh, on Sunday. 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 Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I got such a shock just um, being asked if I could double the length of it just right, a few days before they asked you if you, could, if you could possibly make it four hours long. Yeah, you know? that's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just give lots of language you examples. Oh, yeah, no, you Read the Quenya lexicon. <laughs> 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 I'll cue you. Yeah, I'll right, you right. And it's I I should learn from the paper today and actually make eye contact instead of just reading assiduously. <laughs> so, so a lot of good stuff still to come. Yeah, yeah Brian yeah, Sibley. Brian Sibley. Oh, and we actually had a, um, a message from uh, Peter Jackson himself oh, yeah. That's right. oh, with yes. John Howe and Alan Lee. Yes, yeah. they recorded yeah. a little video really nice. message for yes. us. Yeah. Which yes. was nice. You mean I wasn't New Zealander enough for you? No. No. Sorry, Sorry. And we have a wonderful French reenactment society who are camped outside, Gosh, like yes. living in some In the wind and rain. Yes. But they're going to do reenactments of Battle of Pelennor Fields or something. I don't know. They're going to act actually reenact things yeah and there's lots and lots of books to buy I think Kenny's bought most of them yes every time I see you wonderful art display yeah I've actually been thinking about Ted Naismith's paintings it's been I've never seen them in person before I've only ever seen basically digital images online before um, and and you know calendar images. Those are the only things I've yeah. ever actually yeah. seen. Yeah. Um, so it's it, they're stunning, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And just yeah. To, to see them in person is mm. is is really remarkable. Um, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that talk. Um, we're basically it's going to be a very sort of informal thing. Where we have about six to eight, depending on how many we get through. I'm going to go with. Probably four is what mm-hmm. we'll actually get through. But anyway, um, and we're just going to put them up. We're going to read the passages of the text that he's that he's drawing from, and sort of think about you know the adaptation. You know, look at the text and look at what he's doing with the story in the particular image that he's mm-hmm. captured. Like one of the ones, maybe the one I'm the one I'm kind of thinking of starting with um, is his picture of of uh, uh, Hurin finding Morwen mm-hmm. uh, by the stone, oh, the stone. Mm-hmm. And, yes. uh, and sort of reading that passage and. Um, anyways, it's it's you know, because a lot of people, I think, don't really think carefully enough about the interpretive work that goes into doing a work. Uh, you know, any kind of visual image that you depict is story adaptation, mm-hmm. and there's interpret. You know, whether you 
whether you're thoughtful about it or not, and of course Teddy's very thoughtful about it, mm. um, you're doing interpretation. You know, you're, you're and you know you're, you're you're saying some things. You're interacting with the story in some really interesting ways. So that's basically what our talk is going to be. We're going to be kind of going through and looking at the ways in which he's um, using his paintings as kind of an illustration of uh, of of that kind of principle, and then having him talk about you know his work on the painting and all talk about you know the text and and basically it, i think i think he wants me to do most of the talking because he's sort of shy he's he's he 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 mentioned that he was sort of afraid that it would seem kind of like arrogant mm-hmm. he'd be like no let us have this panel discussing you know the awesomeness of my paintings <laughs> like, i'm afraid that's going to be awkward and i'm like no 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 it's not going to be like that anyway and, and besides i'll 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 do most of that. If that needs to be said, I'll say it, and then that's fine. Um, but anyway, no, that should be that should be fine. I've actually never met him. We've we've you know we've worked together several times, and uh, uh, you know had uh, many exchanges and recorded things together uh, with our voices. But I've never actually met him in person. So I saw fun. him at um, the talk in two thousand and five. He gave a talk there, oh, right. and he was very good indeed. Just talked yeah. his way through his paintings. He's a very quietly spoken guy. Yeah. Um, but his artwork is just stunning. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was so. a good convention actually. Birmingham, yeah. the Birmingham one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Were you there? I was. Yeah. Yes. I think for only two days, though. I didn't do the whole thing. Uh-huh. I want to know if we're going to have a mythgard dwarf tossing tea, <laughs> 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 because apparently dwarf tossing is on the menu for tomorrow. It, yeah. it appears to happen more than once. I don't know if yes, they're having. In case you missed the first dwarf tossing, <laughs> right. there is a second they have opportunity. Like Preliminary heats and then, you know, <laughs> like a, a, a final. final. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should make it clear these are knitted dwarfs. Yes. Not oh, yes. Yeah. yes. No actual dwarfs no, will be tossed in the making of this episode. So, yeah. I, no hot dwarfs. Right, no. No hot dwarfs. No hot dwarfs. Yeah, we have to wait for those. Yes, Just a little, few more little yeah. knitted more replicas of Aiden Turner for you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, we might, then we may even get some dwarf women. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's Sarah's department. Indeed. And then we have a um, banquet on Sunday. Yes. Which, yes. which some you of have us refused to bring your tux for. I Look, uh, no. I wear a tux most of my summer. I'm not wearing a tux for a banquet. No, I don't. <laughs> but uh, is anyone dressing up? Yes, I have a frock. I'm frocking. You're frocking. I am frocking. <laughs> oh, gosh. But you're not dressing in costume. But not in A hell to the no. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are a number of people who are walking around wearing elven clothes. There really are, but I could never pass for an elf no. in a million years. But that's I'm five foot one <laughs> for a start. We'll just start with that. Okay. So, no. Okay. But that's a question you always get when you come to these conferences and are people who are not in up? the know. Yes. You know, do you dress up? Do you walk around like Gandalf? You know, no. it's like, no. Yes. <laughs> so my answer totally depends on my mood at the moment <laughs> of being asked. It really does. Frocking is not really a verb we use in America very much. I think I may have made it up on the spur yeah. of the moment. Good. Sounds that good, though. Might, that might get yeah. us yeah. an R rating. In iTunes, we have to have the explicit text. <laughs> <laughs> and the non version. Coined a 
new word. I did. <laughs> it'll become I a hit. It. It'll, it'll, it'll like you know. It'll go out there now and well, it's yes. guaranteed to become a hit because Absolutely. it sounds vulgar. It does. <laughs> <laughs> what is the past participle as a verb to frock? I mean, <laughs> having frocked. Having been. Having been frocked. Having been frocked. Yes. Had been. Or you can make it a strong verb. Yeah. yeah. I yes. freak. Okay, this discussion is really it's heading. Becoming, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting into philology <laughs> now. <I think>. <laughs> 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 Stop before it's too late. This is before I even mention the heels I'm wearing. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing heels. <laughs> <laughs> For a change. Oh! oh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Frocking in the dark. Sorry, Dave Kelly. Thanks for those of you who joined us live. Uh, this has been an update from the Return of the Rain conference in Loughborough, England. Uh, we may get a chance to do something later on. I'm not sure. Um, I kind of suspect um, tomorrow uh, uh, John DiBarto of the Middle Earth Network is arriving. Uh, so I'm suspecting a, prog- a podcast is imminent uh, after his arrival, too. So that will probably happen at some point uh, additionally this weekend. But um, for now, I think we will sign off. So, uh, so, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for those of you who have been listening in live. Uh, and uh, we will probably uh, post this to the podcast stream fairly soon because Dave Kale isn't editing it. Oh, oh, no. oh no! Sorry, Dave. Just a little benevolent dig there. I, <laughs> I really shouldn't. That's awful. Um, but and he's a celebrity. So he's a celebrity. Know, he's, you know, he's, you know, we don't hate them to miss our fun. <laughs> well, okay. So I will sign off. So, thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>